You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. If you could stand to honor the reading of God's Word. If you're visiting with us, we're, uh, we, we believe the Word of God to be the Word of God. We believe the Bible to be the Word of God, that every word from cover to cover is inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, and that uh, when we read these words, we, we hear the same voice that spoke the galaxies into existence. That's why we ask you to stand, uh, because I, I don't have anything great to offer you than what's in this book. And so we are in the Sermon on the Mount. We will be spending some time in the Lord's Prayer, which is a part of the Sermon on the Mount. If you would like, you can read out loud along with me. The words will be on the screen. We will be reading from Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 9. This is the word of the Lord. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You may be seated. Two weeks ago, we looked at the first petition in the Lord's Prayer, which uh, simply states, hallowed be your name. So just as a recap, I just want to get us up to, uh, up to the second petition. We started with our Father. And I asked, what does that mean? Well, the one that we call Father is Elohim. He is the God who, who creates out of nothing. He spoke the galaxies into existence. This, father, this, this God that we call Father is also Yahweh. He is the covenant-keeping God. He keeps his promises. What he says, he does. There's a verse in the Bible that says, even though we are faithless, he is faithful. He is Yahweh, and he is Adonai. He is Adonai. He is the sovereign one. He doesn't take naps. He doesn't need to go on vacation. Listen, listen, here's, here's a good one. He does not get frustrated. <laughs> he does not get frustrated because all that he determines, he accomplishes his will. He is Adonai. And, and so we pray to him. We call him Father. We, we, those of you who have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he is your Father. Jesus tells us when we pray, we can pray to him as Father. There are, there's another word in the Bible that's used to describe him. We get the English word Daddy from it. We can call him Abba. And, and then as Jesus unpacks you know, this model for us to pray, he says... Hallowed be your name. And we, you know, we talked about that two weeks ago. Not only is he our father, but he is holy. You know, we looked at Isaiah chapter 6. Yeah, the, the, only, you know, the only attribute of God that is raised to the third degree is God's holiness. He is holy. And I suggested to you two weeks ago that this first petition... Hallowed be your name is served by the following five petitions. Hallowed be your name. And then verse 10, your kingdom come for the hallowing of your name. Your will be done for the hallowing of your name. Give us this day uh, our daily bread for the hallowing of your name. 
Forgive us of our debts as we have forgiven our debtors for the hallowing of your name. And lead us not into temptation for the hallowing of your name, for the renown of your name. May you do these things. So Jesus tells us this is how we are to pray. You know, when I started this sermon series, you know, I, I, I suggested that, you know, when when Christians, when the church, especially in America, finds her moral center again, then maybe we'll begin to experience some of the things that we read about in the book of Acts, of that first century church. I was asked, you know, when, do, when are we going to see signs and wonders, Pastor Keith? I think when the church finds her center. And what's her center? It's the we see it in the Sermon on the Mount. That's her center. That's our center. This is what discipleship looks like. When I was in Arizona for a conference with the staff, we, we had dinner at this uh, really great restaurant. If you're ever in Phoenix, this is a good, here's a restaurant to visit. It's called uh, Arizona Wilderness. And uh, just really great food. And I was sitting across the, the table from a, another person who served on staff from, at another church, uh, along with him, right next to him, was Mitchell, who was in the youth group of the first church I pastored in Denver uh, back in 2004. Now he's a church planter. And uh, we, were, we were talking, and I was talking about the Sermon on the Mount series that I've been preaching through, and, and uh, the guy next to him, I don't know if they were in the same church or if they just knew each other, but he was really curious about the sermon series, but he suggested a book, uh, just a little book, uh, titled, What If Jesus Was Serious? And the little book was on the Sermon on the Mount. And so he was telling me about this. So while we're talking, I got on my phone, and I, I uh, went to my Amazon app and ordered the book. And um, in the book, Sky, I can't pronounce his last name, Jathani, I think that's how you pronounce his last name. It was published about a year ago. Uh, he said that if, if Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount with the understanding that it was impossible to obey, then he must have preached his sermon, and this is what he said, he must, Jesus must have preached his sermon while frequ frequently winking at his disciples to communicate, don't worry, you don't have to take any of this seriously. Right? Some people look at the Sermon on the Mount and like, well, this is the ideal, but we can't meet this ideal. But Jesus thought very carefully about everything that he said in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, he followed the ideals of his sermon. Like, he told us that, that we're to follow him and to, to emulate him, to copy his ways. To, you know, there's a phrase that was used of any disciple that would follow a rabbi, and it was in the form of a question, are you covered in the dust of the rabbi? And what that meant was, are you following so closely to your rabbi, behind your rabbi, that as he kicks the dust up with his sandals, are you covered under his dust? And, and so Jesus, when he said, come and follow me, he intended for his disciples, and he intends for you and I to follow him. And so Jesus followed the ideals of his own sermon. Like, love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Don't be consumed by anxiety. 
Go the extra mile. Like Jesus was a man of his word. And being a man of his word, it led him to the cross. And some people would read this and think, well, if Jesus really believed what he believed, then he was either a fool or he was who he claimed to be. So in his, in his little book that I just quoted from, I read these words in the introduction, and then the words will be on the screen. And he said this in the context of, you know, just our world is upside down right now. Our nation is a mess. It's so polarized and so divided. And he said, We who claim to be Jesus' followers and seek a life shaped by his kingdom hold the antidote to the division and anger that is poisoning our culture. If we want the culture to take Jesus more seriously, maybe we should try it first. After that, if the culture still rejects Christians and our message, at least it will be for the right reason. And so here we come to the second petition in the Lord's Prayer. You know, your kingdom come. It's interesting. It comes on the heels of hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Lord, bring your kingdom down. Like, notice here in the Lord's Prayer, he doesn't, he doesn't give us a model that invites us to pray, Lord, take me out of this mess. <laughs> Nowhere in here does it say, get me to heaven as soon as possible. Find me a bomb shelter somewhere where I can go underground and eat canned soup until you come again. Like, nowhere does he say that. The prayer is, your kingdom come. Come from where? From heaven, down to earth. And the point is, live your life in such a way that his kingdom is coming. And pray that way. And just so you know, in Luke chapter 12, verse 32, we have this statement. Let's read this together. Ready? Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Like this kingdom that we're praying for is a kingdom that we belong to. And so there it's two points that I just want to, in the form of a question, in the form of two questions. And the first is this. What is the kingdom of God that we're praying for? What is this kingdom that, we're, that Jesus tells us that we should be praying for? Remember, the Lord's Prayer is not some mantra that we're supposed to repeat and recite every time we pray. It is a model for our prayer life. Like, this is the template for how we are to pray. Your kingdom come for the hallowing of your name. Your kingdom come for the renown of your name. Bring it down, Lord. Bring it down. Make that a reality on on earth. The kingdom of God is the rule of God over all things, and Jesus is the king who will reign and rule over that kingdom, and he does so now, and he will over a physical, tangible kingdom on earth. When Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, and Pontius Pilate you know, was just questioning him, trying to find a way out of this mess to where he would have to crucify Jesus, and uh, he asked Jesus the question, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, and he, says, well, my, he said this, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. So in answer to, the, to that question, the very first thing that we learn from Jesus himself is that the kingdom is not of this world. 
It's not America, it's not China, it's not any other nation, it is a kingdom that is not of this world. And secondly, what we learn of it, it's spiritual, it's not political. He will reign as king, it will be a theocracy, one king reigning over the entire earth. When we pray, we're to pray for one type of kingdom to come, and that kingdom belongs to God alone, and we represent that kingdom. Regardless of what, what earthly citizenship we have here, whether it's America or, or some other nation, some places allow you to hold dual citizenship. My wife has a Burmese passport and a, an American passport. So what is this kingdom? A while back, I preached the whole sermon series on the book of Daniel, and I was thinking about, okay, so this kingdom, we're, we're, we're given a description in Daniel chapter 2. Nebuchadnezzar had this this dream of this huge statue, and, and the statue was kind of portioned off into four types of empires, beginning from the head representing Babylon and the feet representing you know, Rome, the Roman Empire. <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar had this dream, didn't know what to make of it, and so Daniel interpreted the dream for him, Daniel, a prophet of, of God, and, and uh, in, that, in that interpretation, Daniel pointed out something that, that really troubled Nebuchadnezzar, because he had this he had this vision of the statue, it was huge, but uh, towards the end of his dream, there was this rock that wasn't cut out with human hands that came down, hit the feet, and blew all the empires into, into you know, pieces, into ashes. And Daniel told him of that rock, he said, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Like God's kingdom will stand forever. And every nation will suffer that same, fight, that same fate. Even America, our country. I feel like it's one of the greatest countries, the greatest country in the world right now. I think our system of government is probably the best system of government in a sin-cursed, jacked-up, upside-down world. But it's still a mess. And, and even America will suffer the same fate as all the other empires when Jesus' kingdom comes. And this is the, and the kingdom we pray for, is this kingdom that will, will blow to ashes all the other kingdoms. It's Jesus' kingdom. But of this kingdom, we're told in Psalm chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Speaking of Jesus, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. And the prophet Isaiah, we're going to see these on a bunch of Christmas cards soon, right? Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be, what, no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And how do we know this kingdom is coming? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He's going to do it. Elohim, Yahweh, Adonai, that God is going to make sure this, this, this becomes a reality. Let's go to the next verse. Luke chapter 2, verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus is coming. He's coming. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, it says, When he comes, behold, he is coming with the clouds, 
and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. And in Philippians chapter 2, what's going to happen with the nations? What are the demons going to do? What is all of creation going to do when Jesus is coronated as king? At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Like That's the kingdom we're praying for. That's the kingdom we're, we're asking, Lord, bring it down. Bring it to earth. You know, and when that happens, when the physical kingdom that Jesus invites us to pray for becomes a reality on earth, we are told that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Amen to that, right? Like, no more addictions, no more disease, no more death. All of that's going to be swallowed up by life by life. And we're told when, when the kingdom is on earth and all things are made new, in Revelation 21, verse 4, we're told that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. It will be an experience where the worship of God will be central Jesus will be honored, and all of its citizens will know a joy unparalleled to anything we've ever experienced on this side of eternity. Like, that's what we're praying for. And it's not like an escapism prayer. It's not like, take me out of this world now. It is, bring it down. Because Why? Because, because that was God's intended purpose from the very beginning. From the day he created Adam and Eve to enjoy the Garden of Eden, when they fell and they disobeyed him and they rebelled against him, God promised them that he would bring a deliverer through their gene pool, through their seed, through their descendants. And that deliverer would crush the head of Lucifer, the devil, the serpent. And that this deliverer would make all things new. God's intended purpose is that he would restore Eden, but he'll make it even better. And that's what we're praying for. When we pray that his kingdom come down, we're praying for a kingdom where the curse of sin is not permitted, goodbye will be unnecessary, and boredom inconceivable. I think boredom will be deleted from the human vocabulary. So we pray for a reality where all of creation groans. The Bible says that all of creation groans for that reality that we pray for, that God's kingdom will come down on earth. Jesus died for it. He not only just died to purchase you and me, to purchase a people for himself, but he died to purchase a people for his kingdom, to make that kingdom a reality. When this kingdom is fully and finally realized, earth will, will, will not be the earth that we know it today. It will be made new. It will experience a resurrection like the one that you and I will experience one day. It won't be new in the same way that you trade in your used car for another car. The Bible says that God will not flood the earth with water again, but he will purge it with fire. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, the words will be on the screen. It says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And then God will make all things new. One of my favorite authors who wrote just such a wonderful book on heaven. I, I think it was written in the early 2000s. But it's by Randy Alcorn, the best 
theological treatment on heaven that I've, I've read. But he said that the earth's death will be no more final than our own. The destruction of the old earth and God's purifying judgment will, be, will immediately be followed by its resurrection to new life. Earth's fiery end will open straight into a glorious new beginning. That's what we're praying for. And, and this is right after that first petition, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come for the hallowing of your name. And then when that kingdom is, is realized, you know, we, the angels will celebrate. All, the cre- all of creation will celebrate. All of, all of heaven will celebrate. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. We will see him face to face. And Isaiah chapter 35, verse 10, says this. Let's read this together. Ready? Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. That will be our reality. That will be our experience. So what kind of kingdom are you praying for? And maybe you're not just praying for it, like in the literal sense, but what kind of kingdom are you really longing for? Because that's, that's a legitimate question we should be asking ourselves in light of the Lord's Prayer. What kind of kingdom are you praying for? Our Father, Elohim, Yahweh, Adonai, hallowed be your name. Bring your kingdom to earth for the renown of your name. Do you know what that does for your heart when you pray that and when you really mean it? It puts your heart in check because here's, here's the reality. I've said this before. You know, Tim Keller in, his book, in one of his books said something to the effect that our hearts are an idol factory. Well, not only are our hearts idol factories where we, type, we tend to make idols out of good things. Most idols are good things. We just make into ultimate things like our children, a job, um, you know, dreams, our plans, even a church. We can make into an idol. But you know what else our hearts do? We, we make little kingdoms to replace the kingdom of God in our lives. We have a tendency to do that. It's all about me, right? That's what, that's, our hearts gravitate towards that. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. It's all about what, what, what I think is best. It's all about you know, my aspirations, my retirement fund, my job, my this, my that. And when we pray this prayer, it puts our heart in check because it's not about us. It's about God. It's about his kingdom. It's about the hallowing of his name. Everything that we do is about the hallowing of his name, the renown of his name. It's about him. We're just players on his stage. And, we, and, that, and the, the marvel is that we get to participate on his stage, the stage of world history. And all of history is moving in one direction and that one direction is the kingdom of God. It is his name that the true Christian desires to be hallowed above all other things. So what are we praying for? I ask myself that question. Like, What am I lo- really longing for here? Are we longing for the hallowing of his name, for the renown of his name, the spread of the renown of his name in Cheyenne, in Wyoming, in America, in this church? Like when we pray that his kingdom come, we pray that his kingdom, his kingdom come for the hallowing of his name. When we pray that his will be done, we pray that his will be done for the hallowing of his name. Not for my glory, but for his. When we pray, you know, for our daily bread, meet, us, meet our needs, Lord, we pray that he meet our needs for the renown of his name, for the hallowing of his name. When we pray for the forgiveness of our sins, 
we do so for the renown of his name and we, we forgive others for the renown of his name. All of it is about him. And we're acknowledging when we do that, we acknowledge where it is that our true citizenship is. It's his kingdom. I voted, you know, uh, for this past election day and I'll vote next year and the year after that and the year after that. I believe that's my civic duty. But at the end of the day, God's will is going to be done. I'm reminded of something John Calvin said. When God wants to judge a nation, he'll give them wicked kings. And, you know, that rock is coming. It's the rock we're praying for. And all the nations will be broken into pieces as his kingdom comes. And here's the thing. Like, our primary citizenship as a follower of Jesus Christ is the kingdom of God. And this is what I want you to hear. God's kingdom, listen, God's kingdom does not accept dual citizenships. That's why you'll hear me say frequently, we're citizens of God's kingdom first. And we must be good citizens in, this, you know, in, in America or wherever your citizenship you know, rests you know, on earth. Be a good citizen. You know, vote. You know, serve. Love your neighbors. But at the end of the day, our primary citizenship is with King Jesus and his kingdom. And I could say that because of what the Apostle Paul described, or Peter, I mean, the Apostle Peter described of, of all followers of Jesus as, as this. He, he uses two words to describe a follower of Jesus Christ. That, that person is a sojourner, and that person is an exile. And in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says this uh, uh, of the Christian. He says, and the words will be on the screen. He says, brothers, join, me, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. And he goes on to say, but our citizenship is what? In heaven. And from it, we, we, we await a Savior. That's why we pray. Your kingdom come, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. That's a resurrection by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We're citizens of that kingdom. This is why Malachi, in the very beginning of Malachi chapter 1, if you, if you ever read the book of Malachi, it's four chapters, and it's all about worship, how we are to worship God. And at the very beginning, he says this, he says, for, for, from the rising of the sun, you know, let's read this together, ready? For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. That's what we're praying for. Your kingdom come. I read a, a statement from a pastor who said this of the Lord's Prayer, and the words won't, will not be on the screen, but I'll just read them for you. It says, when you sincerely believe and genuinely confess Christ as Lord, you are confirming that the direction of your life is aimed at his exaltation. Let, let me reread you know, re that. When you sincerely believe and genuinely confess Christ as Lord, you are confirming that the direction of your life is aimed at his exaltation, not yours, his. Your own cause your own causes are valid only insofar as they agree with the eternal 
causes of God revealed in Christ. When I pray, thy kingdom come, I am saying to God's Holy Spirit, Spirit of Christ within me, take control and do what you will for your glory. A true child of God won't be preoccupied with his own plans and desires, but with the determinate program of God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. You know, and so when we pray, your kingdom come, it puts our heart in check. It's about him. It's about his glory. And, and here's, the, here's the thing. That's really good news. That is really good news. Book of Hebrews, which is actually a sermon. It's like a sermon manuscript that was, that was written for, to be read to a bunch of suffering Christians. And towards the end of it, the author, and we don't know who the author is, no, Holy Spirit, but the, the human author, we don't know who that is. But he says this, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. That's what we're waiting for. That's what we're longing for. And it's good news because everything we could ever want or need is in that kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Yeah, I started at the beginning of the sermon. I had mentioned that verse in Luke chapter 12, verse 32, which says this, fear not. I, lo I love the language here. Fear not, little flock. Why? Well, here's why you should not fear, because it's your father's, what is that? Good pleasure. His good pleasure. Not his, not just his promise, He's not begrudging about this. He's like, oh, yeah, that's right. I made a promise to you, didn't I? I'll make sure we, we, you know, it gets um, fulfilled. It's not go that's not going on here. It's, it's your father's good pleasure. It, like Christmas is coming soon. How many of you have children? How many of you have somebody you're going to give a gift to? <laughs> okay. My guess is that there's somebody on your list that you are getting a gift for that you are just delighted to give that person a gift. Like, you, you just are longing and looking forward to that. That's, that's what's going on here. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the what? The kingdom. Now, the context of, of Luke chapter 12 is anxiety. We're going to get there in the, in the Sermon on the Mount in, in, in Matthew, but, but in Luke, he talks about anxiety in chapter 12. And so he begins with, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. And then Jesus said, fear not. This is why you shouldn't be anxious, because it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's why you don't need to be anxious about your life or what you will eat, nor about your body or what you will put on. Like, look, if we really take Jesus seriously, then we will believe that he has our best at heart for his glory. That this God that we pray to, who is Elohim, who could create something out of nothing, who is Yahweh, who, who honors his covenant and is faithful even though we're faithless, and who is Adonai, who is sovereign, he knows everything you're going through, and even though you can't see like the next step in front of you, he sees the whole thing in your life. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about, what you, 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 about your body or what you will put on. Fear not, fear not, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And then he says this, 
So, in light of that, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's why we pray. Your kingdom come. It puts, it puts our hearts in check. Our hearts are so prone to wander, so prone to leave the God that we love. The one we call Father is the one who's able to create out of nothing. He's Elohim. The one that we call Father is the one who intends to keep all of his promises. We call him Yahweh. He's the one where he's filled the scriptures with promises like there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he is the one who perfectly governs all things because he is Adonai. And we live in light of our true citizenship in a kingdom that is not of this earth, that is where our true home is. And so, I think if we take Jesus' word seriously, you'll be freed up to do two things. One, you'll be able to hold everything that you hold dear with an open hand. I mean that. If you take his word seriously, and you really believe that he is governing your life, you will be able to hold all that you have hold dear with an open hand. I've shared with you how that has looked like in our lives and our, with our family. I mean, what do you do? What do you do after the birth of your, your, your firstborn son and your wife suffered multiple injuries and for 18 years suffered debilitating pain until we came here? What do you do when your son is 10 years old and diagnosed with an incurable disease? You, you hold him with an open hand and you trust. Lord, I know that you are good. Nathan and I were having a conversation last week where he said, that's, that's what I hold on to. I don't have, I don't have like a, you know, a definitive, tangible thing I'm holding, like I can hold on to about the goodness of God. I just believe that he's good and that in his goodness he, he's got something he's doing in my life and that's what gets me through every day. So you'll be able to hold all that you hold dear with an open hand if you really believe, believe what Jesus said. And then uh, because your citizenship is, as a Christian resides in God's coming kingdom, you are liberated to tell others about a kingdom that will last forever and ever. It is the greatest news in the universe. There are people that I know who are holding on to that. There's one person God rescued her out of a, a life of addiction. She's been clean for I think going on six years now. But her spouse still, still struggles with strong addiction. You know, what keeps her going? God is good. He's doing something in her life. Can't quite see all the details. But he's doing something. You'll be, able, you'll be liberated. If you really take Jesus' words seriously, you'll be liberated to tell others about this king who governs this kingdom that begins so small, like a mustard seed, like leaven in a lump of dough. It is spreading right now. It's spreading as, as individuals place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This kingdom is expanding, and it will continue to expand until Jesus comes to claim his bride, that is us, claims his church, and he sets up his kingdom on earth. 
Uh, Matthew chapter 13, I, I promise this is coming to an end here. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of seeds. This is Matthew 13, if you're taking notes, verses 31 through 32. But when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make their nests in its branches. And then later on in that chapter, in Matthew chapter 13, um, Jesus tells this parable. He says, the kingdom of heaven... So everything we just talked about today, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure, like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up, and then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. Why? Because it's worth everything that he has and more. Kent uh, Hughes, who's a pastor, said this, and I'll close with these words. He said, when we pray, your kingdom come, we pray for three, th for three things. First, we pray for the final and ultimate establishment of God's kingdom. We pray for the day when all creation will freely call him dearest father, Abba. There is all, there, there's an almost marital triumphant ring to your kingdom come. Come, Lord. Come, O Lord. And then he goes on to say, second, we pray your kingdom come so we will be conformed to his will in this world. As we pray this, we hand ourselves over to the grace of God so that he may do with us as he pleases. Your kingdom come in my life. Use me for your kingdom. And then he concludes, third, your kingdom come is a prayer that God's rule will come to others through us. It is a prayer for Christ to work his revolutionary power in a fallen world. Your kingdom come in my family, my job, my city, my nation. When we pray, we pray for that kingdom. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for what you're doing in and through our lives. God, we pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come for the renown of your name, God. We want your kingdom to come. And line our will up with your will. Do a work in our lives. May your kingdom expand in our individual hearts to the degree that all that we have is held with open hands in light of your coming kingdom. And for those in this room who do not know you, God, I, hear, I just pray that they would hear these words, that all who confess that your son, Jesus Christ, is Lord and believe in their hearts that you, O oh God, raised your son from the grave, will be saved, that there is salvation found in no one else but the name of Jesus Christ and him alone. And for the rest of us, God, may we live in light of that reality. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.